Amen. Thank you for coming and being a part of our group. I can't think of a better way to launch uh, Exodus 9 and the plague of hail than with a topic of evangelism and, and reaching the world with the gospel because that's exactly the purpose of Exodus 9. I'm not going to tarry much longer. Uh, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 9. We're going to start reading actually in verse 12 here in just a moment. When I was told that the coffee was, uh, the machine was broken this morning, I thought, I have double duty. I don't only have to preach, but I have to keep you awake, and that means I have to keep myself awake during this thing, too, so we'll be okay. Why don't we start with a word of prayer, and we'll dig in. Father, we're grateful for this morning that you would allow us to be here to hear both from Ben and Kim for their ministry in Nepal. We are grateful to hear what you're doing in that region of the world. Pray that you would continue to use them. Pray that you would continue to uh, encourage those holding the rope on their behalf that they might be able to stay there for years to come. Lord, open our hearts and our minds now as we make our way through Exodus 9. Help us to understand the purpose of these plagues in a way that we haven't understood them before. Uh, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's dig right in because we have a clock to race against. So I'm going to speak twice as fast as normal. No, I'm just kidding. We're just going to dig right into it. Uh, we're in chapter 9. I'm going to repeat uh, what we've already heard in verse 12 so we get the context of what's happening here. Uh, the last plague just ended. Pharaoh's heart in his heart, as we see in verse 12. Here's what God's Word said. says, And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. For indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name throughout the earth. Still, you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will send a very heavy hail such as has not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field to safety. Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home when the hail comes down on them will die. The one among the servants whom Pharaoh, uh, excuse me, the one among, excuse me, the one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. But he who paid no regard to the word of Yahweh left his servants and his livestock in the field. Now the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that hail may fall on all the land of Egypt, on man and on beast and on every plant of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and the Lord remained excuse me the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt so there was hail and fire 
flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very severe, such as had not been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck all that was in the field through all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail also struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the wicked ones. Make supplication to the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no hail any longer, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not fear the Lord, the, the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were ruined, and the barley was in the ear of the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not ruined, for they ripen late. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured on the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not let the sons of Israel go, just as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Well, you should have your notes there. The title of today's message is Judgment and Mercy, Declaring God's Glory, as you see in Exodus 9. I want you to notice, it's there in your notes as well, that this chapter drives you towards two distinct goals that are so clear in the text. God's first objective for you is in verse 14, to know that there is no one like Yahweh, like the Lord, on all the earth. The second one, God's second purpose for you is laid out in verse 16, to declare his name through all the earth. This is a great commission, Old Testament passage. So we can't miss those two goals. God exercises both judgment and mercy for a reason, so that you can know him, and so that you can proclaim his name, or we could say to declare his glory throughout the entire planet. You're going to see four scenes in Exodus 9 that drive you to know God and to proclaim his glory around the world. The outline. God's merciful promises, verses 13 through 16. Second one, God's promises of righteous judgment and merciful grace, verses 17 through 21. And then God's promises made and kept, verses 22 through 26. And of course, Pharaoh's promises made and broken, which is the latter part of the chapter. Well, let's start with scene one which are God's merciful promises. This scene, as we read, is introduced by verse 12. The plague of boils didn't convince Pharaoh to let Israel go, to let God's people go to worship him. So Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart 
And Pharaoh refused to listen to God's word. That's his first failure, to listen to God's word. This is exactly how God told Moses that it would play out early on, way back in Exodus 4, verse 21, when Moses was on his journey back to Egypt. God told him that this would happen, that Pharaoh would harden his heart, that he wouldn't listen. Please notice the beginning of verse 4, verse 13, if you look at it again. God's mercy follows his conversation with Moses. Basically, God wants Moses to violate cultural mandates. Since there is no God like God on all the earth, it makes sense that God would embolden Moses to stand before Pharaoh, to stand upright before the king in confidence. So standing in his presence of the king was an insult to this sovereign that could have resulted in death. Philip Ryken, a commentator on this passage, notes these words. Quote, individuals who approached Pharaoh were commanded to prostrate themselves, smelling the earth, that's how close their nose to the ground must be, crawling on the ground while invoking this perfect, quote-unquote, God and exalting his beauty, end quote. All that nonsense is about to change, Pharaoh. God commands Pharaoh to release his people, and his ambassador Moses must approach Pharaoh the king as though he himself is God, not by groveling to the ground before this inferior. God's commands, uh, his commands with exclamation points, don't require the bootlicking of a man like this. God is in control of the situation, and so Moses must be in control under God's power. Moses will march right up to Pharaoh's throne with his shoulders squared. He will tenaciously demand with the authority of God's voice, let my people go so that they may worship me. This is mercy. God, through the voice of Moses, gives Pharaoh an opportunity to do the right thing. He's giving him a chance to make it right with him or suffer the consequences. Now, because God already told Moses that Pharaoh wouldn't release his people, in verse 14, Moses is armed for battle. And his threats come from the king of kings and lord of lords, and they are not empty. What he says will happen. Promises made and promises kept. God already pounded Pharaoh with six plagues, but the next four are much more severe. Let's read verse 14 again. Just one more time, verse 14. For this time, God says to tell says to Moses to tell to Pharaoh, for this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Your NASB, your New American Standard, or your ESV probably has a footnote next to the word on, if you'll look down there, if you carry those texts, next to the word on is a footnote. And that note is extremely important it highlights the fact that the the Hebrew word that is used there is the word heart, heart. God is going to send all his plagues, and there's 
four more, directly to his heart, right on, or you could say against, or right into, or through Pharaoh's heart. The last time we saw that word heart is just a couple of verses up, right? In verse 12, Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. As such, it makes sense that God will stab that bullseye right in the middle of his heart. Quoting Riken again, quote, the Egyptians believed that Pharaoh's heart was the foundation of their society and the source of all human progress. Thus, they considered Pharaoh to be their God. Listen to how Riken ends this comment. And Pharaoh agreed. This is not going to end well for him. Like a jackhammer on granite, the next four plagues strike Pharaoh's rock-solid heart, and it begins to loosen up just a little bit. The word for plague there in verse 14 is only used, I found this fascinating, the, the Hebrew word for plague there in verse 14 is only used here in the book of Exodus. It's the only place it appears, and it means to strike It means to cause injury or affliction or even death. His heart is hard and God is coming after it. One more thing. It's not just Pharaoh's heart. It's his seared conscience that God targets. It's also his servants and his people. Why his servants and his people, you might ask? Well, so that as a nation... As a people, we would have to ask the question, what did they do? How were they involved with this? We thought it was just Pharaoh who was the despot, the dictator. Why would we punish the people? You would remember that they are the ones, the people are the ones who appointed the taskmasters over Israel to afflict them with hard labor. This was a national sin with which all the people were complicit. So back in 914, God's wrath, as we see here, as a reminder, God's wrath has three targets. It's Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh's servants, and Pharaoh's people. Like people today, none of them are righteous, not even one, Romans 3.10. You might be asking, God, why are you doing this to the people? But he answers that question even before you ask. Do you see God's reason there in verse 14? So that you, he's talking to Pharaoh, so that you, singular pronoun, so that you, Pharaoh, may repent. Is that what it says? Verse 14? No. Repentance in this text is not God's goal. So then what is God's goal? Back in Exodus 5.2, Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh that I should listen to his voice and let Israel go? He says, I don't know Yahweh, so no, I won't let Israel go. Again, God's goal in verse 14, so that you, Pharaoh, that you may know that there is no one on all the earth like me. You see, God assaults Pharaoh's pride. He thought he was God. He, he takes care of his pride, which is firmly encased within, those, within his own hardened heart. For us today, brothers and sisters in Christ, 
This is a wake-up call for those who do not know Christ. And maybe there's some in here who do not know Christ, and this may be a wake-up call for you today. God uses his omnipotence to mercifully break hard-hearted people like us so that we can know him and so that we can fear him. And one extra thing in the text, so we can declare his glory among the nations, even in Nepal. Verse 15 makes that exact point. God mercifully withheld his mighty hand from Pharaoh and his people. Do you see it there in verse 15? You see, God could have wiped him out entirely before the first plague began. Why did he wait? The word struck. Do you see it there in verse 15? The word struck. It's the same one used, the same word that is used after the flood in Genesis 8.21 where God promised to never again strike. There it is. Never again to strike down every living thing as he had done in the flood. That should describe the meaning of that word for us, the clear word picture. Here's the point. As I said, God could have taken Pharaoh out. He could have killed Pharaoh and just been done with it, and Israel could have marched their way over to Israel. Maybe you're asking some questions. Why does God allow cruel people to have one more breath Why? Why didn't God strike down this evil dictator? Well, verse 16 has your answer. He says, for this reason, I've allowed you to remain. Notice the footnote again next to the word remain if you have a New American Standard Bible. Remain means to stand. I've allowed you to stand, as it says in the Legacy Bible. God says to Pharaoh, I have caused you to stand. You are not standing on your own, Pharaoh. I have put you on your feet. Look at it this way. There is no one like Yahweh in all the earth, verse 14. He is the one who caused Pharaoh and his servants and his people to live, to have their next breath. He's the one who created them. So it is. God goes after their pride. They are not in control. So, yes, God himself created this evil man for two reasons, which are detailed in verse 16. First, God causes Pharaoh to remain alive to show him his power, quote-unquote, my power. Pharaoh, I want you to see my power. That's why you're alive. Second reason, God causes Pharaoh to stand. The the reason is he, he, he causes him to stand is that God is going to proclaim and to recount. He's going to declare His name, where? In the text, is it throughout Egypt? No. Is it throughout Israel? No. It's throughout the entire planet. That's why this is a great commission text. Because it tells the whole world that God is sovereign, that he is in control and everybody comes under his power. The reason God didn't kill Pharaoh with his plague is because he wanted Pharaoh to see his power in order to declare his glory throughout the entire world. Think of this hailstorm as a Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20 kind of a passage 
We are to tell the world of God's goodness, and this is one of those texts that allows us to do that. We would ask the question, did it work? Did this plague provide an opportunity to share this throughout the world? Is God's glory proclaimed and declared on a global scale? You bet it is. Starting in Joshua 9.9, over 40 years after this incident, some Gentiles, mind you, said to Joshua, quote, your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of Yahweh, your God. Why? For we have heard the report, here it is, we have heard the report of him and, and all he did in the land of Egypt. They heard about what happened with these plagues. 1 Samuel 4, 7 and through 8, nearly 500 years later after this incident in the Exodus, the Philistines, the arch enemy of Israel, the Philistines were afraid of Israel. Here's what they said. Now, mind you, they messed this up a little bit. They accredited to multiple gods which was done in Israel, so they got part of it right. I'm just going to read it. God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has ever happened before. Woe to us, who shall deliver us from this this hand of these mighty gods, plural. These are the gods who struck down the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. They didn't attribute it to Yahweh, but they understood that whoever was behind Israel, they ought to fear him. Now, over 1,500 years later, after the Exodus, we read what happened here. In Romans chapter 9, verses 16 through 17, I'll just read it. So then it does not depend on the one who wills or the one who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, quote, for this very purpose I raised you up in order to demonstrate my power in you. Does that sound familiar? And in order that my name might be proclaimed throughout the earth. Evangelism is happening around the world declaring God's omnipotence because of what God did in Pharaoh's life. God mercifully spared Pharaoh so that we would hear about his glory. Yes, because God kept Pharaoh on life support, because he caused him to stand nearly 3,500 years later, God's people in churches like Countryside are still proclaiming, declaring, and recounting his name both in Texas and around the world I invite you to check out the missionary board next door. We are declaring as a church, as we hold the rope, people, uh, for people, that they would declare God's glory around the planet. If I had more time, I would have us turn to Psalm 96. I highly encourage you to read that chapter. We're just a bit behind on the clock, so I'm not going to go there. But read Psalm 96 today and read about Uh, the purposes of God to declare his glory. Well, there's a second scene in Exodus 9 that drives you to know and to proclaim his glory throughout the world. You see, it's God's promises of righteous judgment and of merciful grace. God's righteous judgment and of merciful grace. God lets Pharaoh live so that the whole world can declare his name. Yet, in verse 17, look at this, verse 17 starts out with the word still. Or we could say notwithstanding. God says to Pharaoh, you still exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. 
Pharaoh loves his sin way more than he dreads the consequences of his rebellion. Does that sound familiar? Maybe you would join me and say that that's all of us. That's, that's the way I was before Christ pierced my heart. Maybe you too. I'll say it again. Pharaoh loves his sin way more than he dreads the consequences of his rebellion. Pharaoh would have heard Moses quote Yahweh earlier on in, exec, in, in, in Exodus 4.22. You, you might recall when he said, Pharaoh... Israel is my son, my firstborn. Let my son go to serve me. Well, back in Exodus 9.18, God's grace, in this case, has a deadline. Mercy will be extended until the morning, and then things are going to change. But he gives them an opportunity. If Pharaoh maintains a hard heart, if he continues to exalt himself over God's people, his son, then God will attack his heart. Verse 18, he will bring a jackhammer in the form of a very heavy hailstorm. Egypt had not experienced, we learn from the text, this kind of hail from the day that it was established until our text today. Exodus chapter 9. How long ago was that? Best estimates was that Egypt was founded around the year 3200 BC. That's about 1736 years before Exodus 9 that they had never seen anything like this. Hope is not lost. Even in this judgment, God expresses further mercy to this hardened heart. Watch what happens in verse 19. Through the mouth of Moses, through the mouth of God's ambassador, uh, Moses speaks God's word. God instructs Pharaoh to obey his word. If Pharaoh is to remain standing, he must bring his livestock and every man and beast under the shelter to their homes, in their homes. Those in the field, God says, God promises, will die. Eve, if you eat that thing, you're going to die. Moses, if you, excuse me, Pharaoh, if you leave them out there, they're going to die. Promises made, promises kept. History tells us that cattle roamed outdoors in this area of the world from January to April. The remaining months required shelter from the scorching Egyptian heat. Verse 20. The plague of hail is thought to have been in late January to early February, so bringing them into shelter again makes sense. They were outside. They were exposed to the elements. That's what makes this even more miraculous, that this kind of storm would come. It appears that a few Egyptians trusted Yahweh. Most didn't. Their only hope was their powerless yet non-existent gods, to whom they prayed. Egyptians prayed to a god named Shu, S-H-U, the atmosphere goddess, so she's called. They could have prayed to Nut, you might pronounce it Newt, I prefer Nut, because it's kind of a nutty kind of goddess, sky goddess. 
If you know anything about Southern California and Venice Beach, you would have seen them trolling around on roller skates, various things that they've done. Like climate change alarmists today, none of these folklorically imagined characters could rescue them from the worst hailstorm in Egyptian history. They must obey God's word and take shelter. It's, it's really no different than today. You see, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Pharaoh was given the word of God. All he had to do was listen and obey. Verse 21, for those Egyptians who set aside God's authoritative word and who paid no attention, who, as the LSB says, did not consider in his heart the word of Yahweh, left his servants and his livestock in the field. (laughs) For those who ignored Yahweh and left his servants and his livestock in the field, they received God's just wrath, just because God said that's what they they would experience. Moms and dads and grandparents too, we can't miss this point. We have the 66 books of Scripture. What an advantage that we have, which means that we have Exodus chapter 9, and we know that there is no one like Yahweh in all the earth. When we don't bring God's word to bear on our children and our grandchildren's lives, we leave them in the field as it were, where temptations and trials, along with deceiving messages of the day, consume them. We don't need to look too far than to just click online at news reports. We see how the world is consuming the kids of the world because their parents aren't bringing the word of God to bear on their souls. You see, future generations need God's word. It's their only hope of salvation. Unless you evangelize and disciple the next generation, then it's you who left them in the field to face the wicked elements of this age. Well, the picture is clear, is it not? God warns us. He tells us. Well, this brings us to the conclusion, to the warnings. You see, the storm clouds are now billowing And the weather forecast is spot on. Pack your stuff because the storm is coming. Egyptian history is upon us in chapter 9. This brings us to the third scene that drives you to know God and to proclaim his glory throughout the world. Number three, God's promise is made and promise is kept. We see that in verses 22 through 26. In verse 22, God told Moses what to do. He aimed his staff at the heavens as though pointing directly to God, to Yahweh himself, the source of the plagues. Promises made, promises kept in verses 23 through 26. There's more to the word thunder than you might imagine here. It means to give voice. In the Hebrew, it means to give voice or sometimes plural, voices. We see this played out in places like Psalm 29.3. Psalm 29.3 talks about how Yahweh's voice, the sound of his voice, the God of glory thunders. Genesis 1, it's God's voice, his word 
and then God said that made everything. In John chapter 1, we find creation's voice again. Through the word made flesh, he's the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, who when he said, the voice that came out, and then he said, and then whatever happened was created, he's the one doing the creation. John chapter 10, verse 26, Jesus says that his sheep hear his voice, and he gives them eternal life, and they will not perish. In Exodus 9.28, before mentioning the hail, I find it fascinating that Pharaoh says God's thunder, his voice, is too much. Indeed, it's God's pounding voice that drives him to say in verse 28, I will let you go. He couldn't take it anymore. The voice that the people spoke, all things, excuse me, the voice that spoke all things into existence comes from the same God who gives eternal life to his sheep. It's a lovely voice. But for Pharaoh, who pridefully rejected God's word, it's a voice that was utterly terrifying. Just stop, I'll let you go. The only way to hear God's voice is by reading the 66 books of the scripture that he gave us. So back in Exodus 9.23, we read of Yahweh as the source of the thunder, of the hail and of the fire that ran down to the earth. Have you ever thought, why does Moses mention thunder before the fire? Perhaps was it lightning? Shouldn't lightning be seen first and then the thunder? Isn't that our experience? Again, promises made, promises kept. There is no God like our God. There is no storm like this that has ever occurred in Egypt up until that time, verse 18, verse 24. This fire should be understood as great balls of fire or as fires taking hold of itself. Think of, think of it as fireballs continually running along the ground in the midst of the hail. Nothing like this had ever happened before in Egypt, in verse 24. Look at verses 24 and tw- excuse me, 25 and 26. These, again, this is where God makes his promises and he keeps his promises. As promised, the hail struck all that was in the field of Egypt, both man and beast, every plant in the field, and shattered every tree that was in the field. Now I want you to think of the plant this way. It's described this way throughout Scripture. This word for it is, we can understand it as cultivated grain. It's food. The trees were stripped bare, uh, smashed and blown apart by this storm. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 78 and Psalm 105 Psalm 78, 47, Psalm 105, 33, tells us about what happened in Exodus 9. It indicates that the vines, the sycamore, and the fig trees were struck down in this storm. The fire and the hail would have rendered them useless for human consumption. He's driving right at Pharaoh's heart. 
From verses 31 to 32, we know that any edible portion left in the field would soon be devoured by the next plague, the plague of locusts. They're going to pick up the small, tiny scraps that might have been left. Well, in verse 26, only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, was there no hail. Again, mercy. God kept his promises. Amid severe judgment, God does what he says he's going to do. For those in their homes, the ones who obeyed God, they have life. For those in the field, for those who ignored the word of God, they didn't see life because the wrath of God abides on them. If you love your sin more than you despise the consequences of it, it won't end well for your hardened heart. Just as true as it was for Pharaoh, so it is true for those who reject God and his word. Again, promises made, promises kept. Jesus boldly declared, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You've heard it said up here before, God doesn't have a plan B. Either the wrath of God abides on you and you come to the Father through Jesus or his wrath abides on you. Well, now for the second, or excuse me, the final scene that drives you to know God and to proclaim his glory throughout the world, Pharaoh's promise is made and broken. It's developed in verses 27 through 35. Pharaoh admitted that he didn't know Yahweh or his voice, Exodus 5.2. But out of God's mercy, he makes himself known, and his voice is too much for Pharaoh to bear, as we've already seen in verse 28. But in verse 27, knowing Yahweh is the righteous one and that he himself sinned this time, he says, Pharaoh begs Moses to intercede for him, to pray for him. He admits that both he and his people are the wicked ones. The jackhammer is working for now. Pharaoh's profession, though, rings hollow. He should have admitted his sin directly to Yahweh. He says, he sinned this time. Did you catch that? He sinned this time, completely ignoring all the sins that we read about from Exodus 1 until this point in time. He's like, oh, this time I really blew it. It's just like many of the foxhole prayers we've heard about. He just wants the bad stuff to stop happening. God, make it stop. He says, I'll do anything to manipulate God just to, just to remove the pain. This fact is borne out in verse 28. Pharaoh exchanges empty promises for blessings. I will let you go and you will stay no longer. Just, just leave. Make the hail stop. Make the fire stop. In verse 29, Pharaoh, excuse me, Moses promises Pharaoh that the thunder and the hail are about to stop. 
Yet his next statement harkens back to Yahweh's reason, his, his purpose for these plagues to begin with. In verse 14, one of the main points of this morning's discussion, uh, the main point is that, that you may know that the earth is Yahweh's and that there is no one like him on the earth. That's why he didn't take him out early on. He wanted him to see these things, and he wants us to see these things. How else would we know the omnipotence of God in this text had this not happened? Well, Moses chronicles Pharaoh's admission of sin in verse 27. He chronicles for what it is. He sees that Pharaoh is getting to know God, but in verse 30, Moses tells him, I know what you're up to. You and your servants, you don't fear God. Oh, sure, you've got some facts down. You, 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 you've got some Yahweh trivia. You're pretty good at that, you think. But you don't fear him. You don't honor God with your life. You don't, you don't come groveling before him with your sin. You, you, you come to me and, and ask me to go to God on your behalf. Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, are you telling your, 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 your relatives and your neighbors, people, that they must come to God and repent and turn from sin? Knowing about God and his characteristics never saved a single soul. But fearing him, on the other hand, fearing him as proven by submission to his lordship does. Again, promises made, promises kept. Verse 33, Moses spread out his hands towards Yahweh. Not the heavens this time, towards Yahweh. And what happened? The plague stopped. Promises made, promises kept. Verse 34. <laughs> Pharaoh continues his sin. And his hardened heart proves this confession and this commitment are to be totally empty. Both he and his servants hardened their hearts, and the direct understanding from the Hebrew text is they hardened their hearts with strength. It, it wasn't just a hardening of the heart, but it was a strengthening of that hardening heart that sin so drives us into. Both he and his servants hardened their hearts with strength so as not to release God's people. And then we come to verse 35. And Yahweh, through the mouth of Moses, do you see where it says it there? I told you so. I told you this was going to happen. God's purpose for this plague were fulfilled. Pharaoh knows that there is no one like Yahweh in all the earth, and Yahweh's name is proclaimed throughout the world. Those who hardened their hearts from God's word, what'd they do? They, they, they stayed in the field. But, but those who feared God fled into shelter. Those who fear God know Jesus, that he is our only refuge. He's our only shelter. On the cross, Jesus bore God's wrath for the sins of all the redeemed, Believers abide under the protection of his lordship because, John 6, 37, the father gave them to the son and the son won't what? Cast them out. For those who remain in the field, 
promises made, promises kept. You're on your own. You're without God's protective shelter. John 3.36, and I'll wrap it up with this. John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Pharaoh didn't take his opportunity to listen to God's word. We have this opportunity. We're still breathing. And those around us that we are proclaiming and declaring the word of God in their lives, they have opportunities. Keep going in their lives. Opportunities over the Christmas season. Take the opportunities to tell of God's glory, to declare his glory. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this text because we now know and understand your omnipotence in a way that we may not have understood without you going after Pharaoh's heart. So we're grateful for that. We pray, Lord, that you would bring more to yourself this week, this next couple of weeks over Christmas, that they would turn from sin and obey your word. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.